Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It is uh, good to have you. I could just tell by the room, uh, you know, people are, it's what, the second week of October we're, we're in? People are, are ready for their fall vacation already? Anyone else? Uh, I, I am. I was here mopping these floors till like 1230 this morning. Um, let's just, yeah, they're a little sticky, all right? So if you, you feel the stickiness... Um, just disregard it, okay? You know, uh, it was a mess in here, but it was so good. We hosted yesterday a fashion show for 87 and Running, uh, which is uh, Travis Kelsey's nonprofit, which my favorite part of the whole evening was I told Kate, I'm going to have as many uh, conversations about Jesus as I possibly can. And it was a lot of fun. I brought it to the bartenders. I brought him into the, uh, the Mitch talked to me, the, the voice of the chiefs. Uh, and it was great. I really loved it. Like it was so good. Um, <laughs> I went up to, to Patrick and I was like, my name is Greg McKinney. I'm the, the venue owner. Thank you so much for being here. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> And so we did it, toured, gave him a tour, showed him and Brittany where the bathrooms were. Uh, that's, that's what I did. There we go. That's the story of my life. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Well, what's next? Uh, no, it is so good to now be here back with you guys because last week was just stressful prepping for that event. I did not know all the things that would go into it, but I, I'm excited. We're starting the book of James. And uh, what I'm really excited about is James speaks for himself. And it is, it is blunt. It is powerful. It is truth-filled. And it is, um, I would say, leading. It leads us into something. So I, I would say we all need this. In fact, if I could just like remind you, do you remember during the summer when I told you I had a, like a stress we can call it a, it was a vision, but then the, the enemy liked to turn it into a stress dream, anyone? Uh, I was in bed, and I just could not sleep, and all I could see, and it, I was just stressed out, and all I could see were ants. Anyone have, I hate, I just, I hate ants. Anyone else? Uh, I just hate ants. I don't know if it was like a childhood thing where they were crawling all over me as a kid, but anytime I see them, it's bad. But I, I, as I was laying down, I literally could see ants, and then I saw this massive foot step in the line of ants and all of them scattered. And I felt like the Lord was saying, this has been your church this summer. Something has stepped in their path, on their way, in their hopes, in their dreams, stepped on their, their direction, what they thought they were doing, all, the, all the, the calmness of their now, and they have scattered. And I saw that, and I, I thought of it in any type A's, I thought of it in uh, what should I do to fix it? And so I'm like stressing out as I'm thinking of, well, I, I need to go to that person or that person and this person's doing that issue and then this has happened to that couple and this and it's all over here and I'm traveling in my mind to all of those little ants and I started realizing as I did it that all of the ones who were still following the pack were walking way too much after me. Like I literally, I'm like playing this out and God was like, if you go back to every one of those little ants, Everyone who's following you is just going to be redrawing their own steps again and again. That's not leadership. 
send out the ones to get the ants and bring them back. So this story is, uh, the book of James is a sending out to the ants to bring them back. Literally, it'll say to the church, the 12 tribes of Israel who are dispersed. They're scattered. They're, some of them afraid, others of them, uh, Christianity is not yet legalized, and, and so they're, they are nervous. Jesus is dead, but arisen, but everyone thinks he's dead, and they, there's just persecution happening, and the Jews scattered. And so, I don't know what the foot of the giant is in your life, but we can call it what James will, a trial. He will say, you know, blessed are you when you endure a trial, that step. Maybe it was a, uh, a financial let, let go. Maybe it was you, you, you lost a job. Maybe it was you, you lost a family member, a loved one. Maybe it was you lost hope in something, a lost expectation. Maybe it was that there's this trial and the pressures of life and everything seems to be counting on this one thing and you're just full of fear with it. Maybe it's exhaustion has just pressed. A trial has come. And we as ants like to scatter. But the Lord sends his word to bring it back. And so I'm really excited. Um, we're going to open up to James and I'm going to read. I, I know it's sometimes I promise this to you that I'm going to read it all the way through without pausing, but I'm really going to, I promise I'm going to try to do this. Okay. I promise I'm going to try to just read it all. Um, but we're going to be reading from James chapter one. So go ahead and open that up. All right, please. Cause if you have it on your phone or in a book, like I encourage you to highlight or to, to write out. Cause there's some key words that are really neat. Uh, God, God knows what he's doing and planting some words at the beginning of the chapter that will mirror the end of the chapter, okay? So it's really cool. I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, of a nerd when it comes to things like that. So here, I'll just, these are the words you want to listen to. There'll be the word trial, temptation, and lure. Those are fun. Uh, another one, endurance, patience, standing the test. Another one, you'll hear the word wisdom, okay? Maybe you should circle that one. In a second, you also hear these words like gift, or receive, or not receive. Uh, you'll hear words like uh, double-minded. That one's fun. You'll hear words like unstable. You'll see the distance between faith and doubt. And we'll also talk about this nice thing of uh, complete and lacking. And so those are the words, that were, and I'm, I'm excited to get into it, but I just, when you hear those words, think, why did James use this word? And here's a neat little aside as we get into this. Uh, English has done sometimes a poor job of translating uh, the, the original text. One of those is the word in this for trials, which will later be called temptations. Those are actually the same word, same word. So whenever it says those of you who endure trials of all kinds, it's the same word that'll say later, those who have been tempted, don't say God tempted me, all right? So I'm just, I'm prepping you for that, okay? We're gonna pray. I'm believing the Lord is gonna speak because my body's tired, but I'm, I'm so eager to hear from God. Jesus, you are in this place, so may your words reign true. I pray that they do not go into one ear and out the other, but Lord, let them sink. Your word is a double-edged sword, so God, it's gonna cut through. It's going to uh, heal, mend, and God, I just pray right now that it brings those who are scattered close in the only way that you can. 
Bring us close. In your name, Jesus, amen. So it starts, verse 1, and it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, those who've dispersed, been scattered, greetings, my brothers, my brethren, uh, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect in you so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. There's a few of those words already, right? Complete, lacking in nothing. And he continues, if you do lack, if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgedly. And it will be given you. But ask in faith, that word, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive, be given anything from the Lord. And it continues, let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up. And let the rich in high esteem boast, right, in being brought low. Because the rich will disappear like the flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. It is in the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation, trials, Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desires, being lured and enticed by them. And then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving, every good thing, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wow, that was a lot, right? Some of you are like, what did we just read? We're gonna make sense of this because I will tell you the enemy wants you to stay scattered. The enemy wants you to stay scattered. And often we don't even realize that we can live scattered thinking we're close to God, yet our doubt is not receiving for us anything, right? Like, and so James is like, my brethren, like you are scattered and you're doubting. And so you keep asking God to do things, but your heart is full of doubt and then you're wondering why he's not doing it. Faith doesn't come from seeing, right? It comes from believing. And so he, he just, he hits them really hard and this fun word at the beginning is trials, right? 
Blessed are you who endure trials. I will tell you this if you want to take some notes. We, we've separated these two words, uh, which is fine, trials and temptations. But here's a good way to, to describe them incorporated in one word. Uh, but it's, uh, if you want to take notes, trials comes with attacks and pressures. And the next one, uh, I'll let you write that down. Trials come with attacks and pressures. So a trial can be an attack from the outside. You weren't prepared for that. A spiritual attack, attack on your, uh, your identity, attack on uh, what you would say is the confidence the Lord has given you. Attack on a gift is a trial. Pressures, anyone else? Pressures of life, anyone feel it? Parenting can sometimes be a trial, not because of the Lord, but the pressures of life, expectations, uh, people's sin. Can we just realize when we're in a relationship with other people, their sin creates pressure? Like, right? Like, that's just it, pressures. Another one is the temptations, right? With temptations, they come with uh, attractions and pleasures. So we got trials that come with attacks, trials that come with pressure, and temptations are the, uh, you know, attractions that we have to sin. It's the pleasures of life that we desire. Both are trials. Both come not from God. But he can use them in beautiful ways. He could take our temptations, heal them, let them be testimonies, right? He can take our trials, use them, redeem them, and they could become testimonies. God uses these words, but they are not, as James will say later, from God. But both of them demand a reaction, a response. Your trial, you will respond to. Like temptations, you will react to. You will either say yes, no. Trials, you will either hunker down. Some of you are fight and f- fight people. Others of you are flight people. We will react to trials, uh, but when done correctly, James says they produce this word endurance. Those of you who, who like the more um, biblical word for that, that's the long suffering. You know, it's a fruit of the spirit of long suffering. Anyone want that one? Uh, the fruit of the spirit of patience, endurance, long suffering. The ability to not just suffer and die, but to suffer and sustain. Like that's the beauty of what this is, is the ability to uh, not just suffer and perish, but suffer and sustain. That is what happens when we take a trial, hand to the Lord, and we endure. And the purpose of that is, uh, doesn't mean we, uh, you know, push through, wait on, or walk out, or sit in the trial, but that we walk closely with Christ as he leads us through the trial. This is endurance. And it's beautiful. And what I, like, what I love about this is he says, you will endure so that you lack nothing. That's the end goal, to lack nothing. But I love that he then says the caveat, if you are lacking, it's okay. And so I just, what I need you to realize is the scattered Jew thought they were lacking. That is a bad thing. They cover it up. What ends up happening is we feel in the trial we are lacking. The enemy uses that as a point of shame. And then we never step to the heart of the Father and actually step in endurance. It's not bad that you are lacking. Can I say, it is not bad when you were lacking. 
the woman who, who said, Jesus, heal my daughter, and he calls her many, he calls her a dog. Jesus, who says no to her, her faith was lacking, but she did forward. Sometimes faith doesn't feel like faith, right? When it feels lacking, your strength lacking, she went forward. It's not bad to lack. It's interesting, though, because in the in-between, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask him. Ask him. Ask him. And why wisdom? Like, if, if you want to put that, it says lack wisdom. Not like lack strength, but lack wisdom. I don't know about you, but when I'm enduring a long-suffering I'm trying to think of a, a good, good example of it. You know, one time in my life, I decided uh, to raise money um, with a church and in the inner city to, uh, like, renovate a building. It was, uh, it was a good venture. And um, it created some long suffering, right? Uh, as people told me no, as uh, people even who, who are well pastors who've loved me say, you're not, your church isn't a church yet because it's not 200 people. You can't do this. And I just remember long suffering as just doors kept closing, but the Lord kept opening other ones. And, and, and it was not fun. When you're in a place of a trial, what do you need? You need wisdom. Wisdom is the understanding of uh, not necessarily what to do, but just clarity on all that is going on, right? Wisdom is sometimes not like, hey God, what do I do? But sometimes like, just let me see clearly. That's why we often don't endure is because we are not seeing clearly and we just want to know what to do. God's like, my wisdom just helps you see. My wisdom just helps you. That word literally says like, it means to understand, to have an upper hand knowledge to something, a, a supernatural skill. When you say, God, give me wisdom, you're really saying, God, like, this is happening, and I need a supernatural skill to see, to understand, to know, and be careful not to just say, so that I know what to do. And God's like, no, I could care less about what you do right now. See me. Notice me. In this trial, you don't have to do anything, just stand, right? That's what, if you've stood the test of time, see me. But we don't endure to the point of asking for the right thing. In fact, like wisdom is such an, a beautiful attribute to need. But um, I've noticed that we have a problem with our questions. Ask God for wisdom. So I was uh, counseling someone. Um, I, yeah, I was counseling someone the other week, and they were seemingly asking for wisdom. Now I need to, I, you're going to have to like put your brain on, all right, because this is huge. This is, there's a slight, a slight lean in our questions when we talk to God. So he was telling me his, his story and uh, he was seemingly asking God for wisdom. God, all these things have happened. What is the lesson in it? That's a good question, right? What is the lesson in it? Like, what are you doing? Why is it still happening? Why is it not fixed? And I just want to know. I just want to know why. And he just kept saying the same thing. Uh, I'd, what is the lesson in this? And every single time that statement happened, every single time he asked the question, just something was weird in my spirit. Like, I was like, I don't know if that's the question that he needs to be asking. And I didn't know how to word it. So I just was like, hey, can we pause and pray? Like, I just... God, 
what question should we be asking? Like literally I asked, I, we paused and I just prayed, God, can you like, you give me what question we should be asking? Cause he's saying, why is this still happening? Why won't it break? Why won't it end? Am I missing something? And I was just, God, what should we be asking? And James says though, when you ask, if you put this up, when you ask, ask in faith, never doubting. You see, the ask is important. Some of our questions already show that we have a lack of faith. Some of our questions already show that there is not faith. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. For the doubter being double-minded and unstable, like literally that double-minded and unstable is very important uh, because faith questions they have a starting point that is vastly different than doubting questions. Faith questions have a starting point that is vastly different than doubting questions. They may sound the same. God, what is your will? That sounds nice, right? That sounds really good. But a faith question might in the end sound the same. But the starting point is vastly different than, God, what is your will? Because right now, like, if you would just tell me it, I would do it. And he's like, bro, you're not even doing the simplest of things. It's not about me answering the question. Your heart is full of doubt. It started wrong. So it doesn't matter. And that was the point. Like, these questions are good. He wants to know what the lesson is from all of this. But God, it doesn't sound right. Where's the starting point? Because it wasn't a faith. He's not asking for wisdom. He's asking with doubt. And I just, we can sometimes live years with doubting questions and never realize it because they are questions. And I need some of you, we can live years with doubting questions and never realize it because there's still dialogues with God and we think that we are good because we're still praying those doubting questions. But they're coming from doubt and not from faith. And we keep wondering what the holdup is. And so you just keep asking for it. And the Lord's like, stop living with doubt and, and saying that's our relationship. It, it's, it's very subtle. Like I, I really had to check my own heart because the, the questioning isn't always enduring. And sometimes we just think, God, I'm still asking for this. And as if the woman who was down on her knees asking was doubting. No, that woman just kept going forward, right? She just had faith as she asked Jesus do this. It wasn't a questioning that was formed from a heart doubt. Can he do this? No, she knew. I'm going to get it. It's going to happen. I'm going to him because he is able. And so there was no doubt that spurred on her question. It was faith, total abandonment of everything back there as I keep going forward. It was faith. But back to this counseling session because uh, what ends up happening when we have a double heart, a double-minded self, when we keep asking is then we have this compartmentalized faith. And I want you to hear this, like we have the faith to believe that he is able, but our deepest fears and questions, 
we are doubting. And so then God sort of, we have this um, outside relationship with God, but the deepest heart issues, it's not, we're not close to him. It's double-minded. And uh, what I love about this is it's not the word hypocrite. It's not the word like uh, that, that will say like he'll spit you out because you're lukewarm. This word literally just means they are wavering. It means they are unstable. It means that, that they are, are there and then not there and then they're, they're fickle. Have you ever had like shady, flaky, some of the, like, the new words that we, that we like to say? They promise one thing, yet at the end of the day, their doubt keeps them from it. That's the image here of the wavering one. Now, they still have faith, but this question is full of doubt. This need is full of doubt. And I would just challenge you, like, there are so many things that God has called you to do that you have faith, but in that facet of your heart, there's doubt. There's doubt. And you think he's close because you kept bringing it up to him? You kept bringing it up. It's the same issue every time. And you keep giving, well, I keep giving to God. I just keep giving. No, you're asking the wrong question. It's not from faith. It's from the area of doubt in your heart. And so wisdom is not, God, take this. What do I do? Often it's God, show me the starting point so that I can see clearly. Does this make sense? Wisdom, if any of you are lacking in wisdom, ask him for it. Ask him for wisdom. Because I'll tell you, uh, back to this counseling session, uh, God, what is the question that we should be asking? And finally, like every worded prayer uh, that came to my mind as I was doing this, it, I started realizing um, when you say that, God, what is the lesson in this? Why are you using that word? And so he, he asked, he answered the question. And I was like, what are you believing about yourself from that scenario? Because it seems like you're asking God, what's the lesson? Mainly from the lie that you believe from that issue versus the faith of who he is to answer the question. Is this making sense? That was crazy. We got to go back. It seems like you are asking God, what's the lesson? And you're using the lie that you believe about yourself from that as the soil from that question. Like, God, what was the lesson that I was called trash? And even as I ask that, I believe I'm trash. And God's silent. He's like, because you're using the soil of that thing to form your question. It's from doubt not from faith. And so I just, doubt does not always look like doubt. And that's what, like, what is doubt? Like, uh, I just need you to, you're taking notes, what is doubt? Because the double-minded person doesn't always just mean the doubter, uh, doubting Thomas, like we iconically think, like, they don't believe. That's not all that doubt is. It's really interesting. Uh, doubt is not just this uncertainty or confusion. And this is where my mind was blown as I studied this, because this helped me understand, like, what is going on when I pray and I don't feel like you're listening? It's because I'm doubting. But I'm like, no, God, I believe that you can do it. And he's like, but Greg, the it is a different variable than what I'm even doing. Like, you're in the soil of your doubt as you ask for me. 
Like, so here we, here we go. Uh, I'm just excited. Uh, doubt is not, if you want to write this down, doubt, doubt is not a passive wondering. Like, I just wonder. But instead, it's an active wandering. It's moving. It's, it's constantly going. And, and you're aware of everything. In fact, some of you who are the type A people, you're, you're more, I, I evaluate everything. Like, I know that there's a sticky spot right over there. I know there's a sticky spot right over there. I saw it. And I'm aware. You see, what happens with the doubter, that word in the Greek literally means that they evaluate carefully everything. And so they know all of, the, all of the pieces on the game board. And because they know all of this, they're like, God, what do I do? What's happening? This was said. I know, I know it, and it's hurting. That's happening over there. And, and as we form our questions from that knowledge, we're actually not coming to him where the place of lacking. We're coming to him filled with some understanding, preconceived understanding, hoping for him to answer. Does this make sense? James didn't say, hey, if you like are filled, come to him. He says, if you're lacking, come to him. You see, doubt's not a lacking word. And I, and I, I need you, when you say like, I doubt that that will happen, it's not because you have a lack of a lack of something, a lack of understanding. Doubt is not a lacking word. Doubt is a filling word. Typically meaning when someone doubts, they are filled with a lie, with some bitterness, with some hurt, with some regret, with some guilt. I doubt as a man that people truly want to help me. Anyone else? I doubt people. Anyone else doubt people? I doubt their genuineness. That doubt doesn't come because they lack genuineness, right? It's not a lacking word. The doubt is because my heart is filled with hurt. And so it's a filled place where I'm asking God, can you, God, can you just let people show up? Like, can you just let people be there? And he's like, you're playing in a field that is not even reality in these questions. So are you making sense? Of it? Like, does this make sense? Like, you, you're doubting, but that's not even it. And so sometimes we do this. A lot of times we do this. Doubt is not a lacking word. It's a filled word. And so I began realizing uh, he was so filled with guilt. And so he asks in doubt. The guy I was talking to was so filled with bitterness toward himself that he's asking with doubt. He was so filled with desire in a false way. Sometimes we're so filled with lies that all of our asks are in doubt. And so the lacking is this. And I have finally come to this, especially this <laughs> where God is like, I'm, I'm going to make your hair fall out, Greg. Like I've noticed this has been happening where my questions are not from a place of, um, that I'm filled with, but from a true place of desperation. Jessa told me, stop acting like that you're not desperate. The Bible says, ask. If you're lacking, ask. Admit that you're lacking. 
Because right now you're filled with something. Some of you, you want a happy marriage, but you're filled with anger. You're wondering why God's not doing anything. You want that answer, but you're filled with, um, I would say, intimidation. Some of you, insecurities. And so you're not asking God to change the lie, wisdom on how I see myself. You're saying, give me wisdom in what I should do with my job because I don't feel like it's a good fit. No, it's actually you don't think you're good enough for it. And so you want him to just answer that instead of your heart problem. Is this making sense? And so I like, finally, I'm like, God, out of desperation, I don't know what to do. And I am not enough. And I can't see. And I am lacking. And I have all of these holes. But God, like, I believe that somehow you will fill them. So just give me wisdom on my heart. Give me wisdom on what you're doing. And I'll just keep breathing, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm going to stop asking for wisdom of who to talk to or what to do because I'm going to own my lacking. I am in need. Anyone like, are you okay with admitting? I am in need. I am missing this, God. I am feeling like I don't understand. I will stop asking you for other things. I just need wisdom. Let me see it clearly because I'm already assuming I know things. I, I already am assuming that I know all the issues, and I, I, that's doubt. I'm filled with already preconceived assumptions. And so, like, James says, when you do ask, ask with faith. And so, as we end really quick, I want to just challenge you. Here's some two ways that we can ask in faith. Um, and I'm, I'm really trying to, to do this actively myself. Um, first one is this. We must stop forming our questions by what our doubt is seeing. And that's like the number one thing. Change your asks. When you ask for wisdom, stop asking from what your doubt is seeing. Like that's, that's huge. Like, I am noticing all of these holes, and my heart is like, I'm insecure, and I don't know what's going on, and I, I, I just don't know how it's going to, God, can you just help us know what to do? And really, it's out of all that you are seeing that's making you afraid, or seeing that's filling you with doubt, that you're asking him to step in. Instead of, Lord, like, my heart right now is really hurt with this. I feel like I'm not enough. Can you give me wisdom? Will you remind me of who I am in you? That's the wisdom I want to endure. Not even outside yet. I don't even need to walk right now. I just need clarity on who you are and who I am. Like, you give me wisdom so that I can endure. Does this make sense? Stop forming our questions from what your doubt is seeing. Some of you are really good at seeing. I mean, I evaluate everything. Anyone else? You've got to stop evaluating everything because you will use those as the variables to word out your question. And the Lord is like, where's my word in your question, right? Where's my truth in your question? Where's my spirit in your question? And so we got to watch that. Uh, one way that you could say this is wisdom is not always like what I should do or for my friend that I was talking to should learn but instead a clear understanding of God and Christ in me. Like literally, God, who are you? What are you doing? Christ in me. Because often your doubt is from a believed lie. You need wisdom to know Christ in you. 
Often your doubt will be, we'll see this, James ends it this way uh, in chapter one, your doubt is from a false belief of God and you need a clear belief of God, his wisdom to understand him so that you can endure. It's really beautiful. It's, it's not always, God, what do I do? But let me just know you in this. I don't even need to see right now what you're doing. Like, I just want to know you, your character in this, uh, who you've called me to be. Wisdom should point to the Lord. A good question then is like, hey, God, where is this desire to know actually coming from? Like, I want to know what to do. Where's that desire to know coming from? Because I feel like if I don't have the answer, then it will make me look worse. You know, or if I don't have the answer, then I will appear weak. You know, as we start asking, where is this question coming from? Then I can start saying, oh, I actually need wisdom to deal with the, the precursor to that question. I need healing to the precursor of that question. Well, what it's formed from. Because if I don't know what to do, like, then I'll mess it up, right? Like, that's a deep lie that I'm believing. And honestly, we need to be vulnerable in this. Like, this is what I've done. God, like, financially, I don't know what to do as a church. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I'm not going to keep saying, God, how is it going to happen? I've got to ask, God, what are the areas that you're tending in my heart that you're scraping away doubt and filling in faith. So I will stand. Because the fact is, we have what we need right now. Maybe not later, maybe not tomorrow, but that's a doubting. I'm evaluating some things and then determining whether or not God can do anything. Right, I'm evaluating things and then determining on whether or not he would do it or what he would do or, or what, what, what he could do and then I would do and he's just like, Greg, let the soil just be faith. Let it be faith. A second one that you could do is ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. And I know that you're like, what? Second thing, right? When you're asking a question, how do you ask with wisdom, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name? And I know that sounds really weird, but that's literally all I could tell this guy as I was talking. Because James will say, um, you write that down because I'm just going to read you. James will say, like, when you are in a trial, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. You see, a lot of the times I think we ascribe to God the reason for our trial. We want him to fix it because he did it. And then we're not getting anything we want because we're not even talking to the real God who did not bring that trial. Does this make sense? We are asking in doubt, ascribe to God what is his and take it away. You, you see, I, my mom had a soapbox. My mom passed away through cancer uh, when I was a senior in high school. She had a soapbox when she got diagnosed with cancer. She would always say, cancer is not from the Lord, from me. He did not give me cancer. It is a trial that I will endure because of the fallen world. Now, he will use this cancer, but he's not the author of cancer. Does this make sense? He will use this pain, but he's not the author of this pain. He will use, now God chastises, he disciplines, but that's not the trying of a trial, the pressures of life. He did not bring this pain 
this loss, this death. He's not an author of death. He's an author of life. So we have to ascribe to God what is God's because the doubter will say, God, when are you going to heal me? And they're asking, when are you going to heal me? Because they think he's afflicted them. Now, there are times when God has afflicted people, right? Like we see that in scripture. But that's not always the case. Sin, right? When it gets, gives birth to death, right? Like sin, we always forget the variable, wow, of sin. And we always forget the variable of his spirit, like, hands down, when we're making our considerations or our fears or our thoughts or we're overestimating, like, the day or thinking back on, on what happened yesterday, we're forgetting him. We're forgetting what he did, how he's weaving, what he could have done. And there's doubt in that. There's doubt in that. So he says, sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. But do not be deceived because good things come from the Father of lights. Every good thing. So ascribe the glory to his name. Every generous act, I will pray and my questions will be formed from the knowledge of his generosity versus what I feel like he's done to me. Does this make sense? Some of you, you, you only talk to God about what he's quote unquote done to you, the trials of life. It's just pressures and it's just always hard and he's just always doing this. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name because you keep asking in doubt. You keep saying, God, help me, but you also think that he's the hand that dealt this pain, right? Like we've got to ascribe glory to his name. We have to. Every good and generous gift is from above. Listen, he will use your childhood pain for good, but he was not the author of your childhood pain. He didn't author your family to abuse you. But can he use it for good? Yes. He didn't author that to happen. He's not the author of abuse or neglect, but he will use the trial for good. And so we have to separate this, ascribe glory due to his name. And as we like end, um, I just have been really challenging myself like, God, I will not think of this without considering you as the biggest variable in the pot. Like, have you ever like a little bit of food coloring can change a whole thing, right? A little bit of food coloring. Like, a little bit of mustard, a little tiny thing of mustard seed can move a mountain. Like what we don't realize is Jesus is, we could say, the smallest but the greatest, right? Variable in our life that changes everything. And so when I look at my day and ask him questions, let me not doubt that when he drips in, everything changes then I'll ask in faith because I will not forget the Holy Spirit is a variable in my marriage, in my home, because when he steps in, the impossible happens, right? We forget what he can do. We forget what he did do. We forget that even when we were doing shameful things, he still was loving us. Like we forget what his presence meant yesterday, is doing today, 
and can do tomorrow. So God, right now, I just pray in this place that we would have faith-filled questions. Lord, not asking like, God, what do I do? Or this issue is happening and and God, which direction do I go? But instead, we start saying, God, this uncertainty, this anxiety, where is it coming from? Can you give me clarity onto what I'm believing about you, about me, so that I can endure? As Paul says in Romans, God, I want to be a people that suffer, endure, and that that endurance produces character, that out of this place a a Jesus-like character would flow. It cannot happen if we just suffer in period. It's through enduring suffering with your hand we learn a character that is not like this world. And it says when character, it produces hope. The hopeless in this room are hopeless because there's so many questions that they've been asking of you with doubt. So God, in this place right now, I just, um, I pray, Jesus, will you reveal right now the lies that are fueling our questions? Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.